This is Office Hours. I'm Ernest Wilkins. All right, folks. This week, I am going to change your life. Yes, literally, I'm going to change your life using four words. Now, a lot of other podcasts will tell you they're going to help you out. They're going to listen to some music for you. No, baby. On Office Hours, we change lives. Are you ready for those four words? Here we go. Create more consume less again create more consume less uh let me take a step back and explain kind of what i mean by those two so creating to me is i've defined it as like the intentional development of something that did not exist before like literally the definition of creation i mean even if the creation is only something that you get personal joy out of a song you make up in your head for example it's still something you created that you control you know so this can be a hobby, uh, learning a new instrument, fixing something in your house. Basically, creating doesn't have to mean literally creating things from scratch all the time. I mean, it, it more, to me at least, means having the opportunity for creative expression. Like, you know, usually the activities you do while creating something are also things that you can get much better at with practice, right? So you keep practicing, you get better. You create more stuff, the better you get at the task or the skill that you're doing. So, that's creating. Uh, consuming to me is if creating is active, consuming is passive, right? So it's like the reception of entertainment or media or whatever. So as consumers, you know, we spend time entertaining ourselves, um, TV, movies, video games, all that stuff. I'm not anti any of that stuff for the record. I think anything that you don't have control over that entertains you and frankly demands little activity from you in response is consuming, right? So that's reading a book, that's listening to a podcast, that's being observed of people on the bus. Um, But a couple of things, I mean, one, human beings love to create. They also love to consume. Um, It's way easier to consume someone else's creation than it is to create something yourself as every person who has ever tried to (laughs) write or make an album or play an instrument will tell you. Creating things also makes you feel really vulnerable. I mean, it also will make you realize you're not as smart as you think you are possibly or you're not as talented as you think you are. Um, But all that being said, you know, if we're, we're tallying these things up, creating is better than consuming someone else's creation straight up. Like that's the, the key message for today. If this were, you know, uh, Baptist church, that would be the part where the organ like swells. Maybe I'll put an organ swell in there. Hold on. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that sounds so good. Okay. So I say creating is better than consuming someone else's stuff because control over, I think having control over something makes people feel good, to be honest with you. Uh, I also, you know, I think you get a sense of accomplishment, like I said, but you also get a life lesson, right? Like creating something yourself will make you less likely to talk shit about someone else's creation because once you create something or more accurately try to create something and fail, you become very, very aware of how hard it is to actually create something good. And I think that's kind of the, you know, the, the, the crux of a lot of the arguments I saw, like, 
Ariana Grande and Bieber and them were going after some critic. Lizzo did it earlier this week. And it's just like, you know, I understand where they're coming from because making something is hard. Making a major label album or performance, that stuff is really hard. And so I get how hard it is to make something good, especially in spite of, you know, literally in spite of other people's like greed or lack of, you know, responsibility or maybe they stole your money. I don't know. But I think the other thing you got to remember about that and the thing that I don't really align with when people come out against, oh, well, what have you made like that? And I'll get to that in a second. But the biggest thing is, you know, creating something doesn't give you like immunity from criticism. So and I'll talk about criticism later, but I really want to stress that point because, you know, people who are consuming the thing that you've created are not repeat are not responsible for making you feel good about your creation like you should feel good about the thing you created it's nice to get praise it's nice to get positive reinforcement but like no one's gonna make you feel good about the thing you created other than you the other thing about that nobody really and i shouldn't say nobody but like a lot of people when they come with this criticism of like well what have you made i mean they don't really expect people who do a lot of consuming to create anything of their own it's kind of like a you know we do it they talk about it or y'all talk about it i live it every rapper from like the mid 2000s used to say that um i mean it's it's why they get so angry when they're critic you know criticism happens around their creations right like what have you made that gives you the right to criticize what is it i sound like a country accent right now did you hear that what have y'all made that you got a country (laughs) uh that being said you know i really believe the best feedback actually comes um from other creators especially if they're better at the thing that you're creating than you are um them consuming your creation will likely end up with you getting some really usable feedback that will probably help your next creation which is the point of creating you want to make some more stuff uh i i really believe that because i feel like creators who spend more time creating than consuming other stuff have a better idea of like that super big grand canyon like mariana's trench size gap between talent and taste (laughs) and i know how hard it is to bridge that gap some people never do it um but I think a lot of times creators, especially if they're in the world you're in, will offer you feedback to help you close that gap because they have a better sense of what you're trying to do because they've actually built something. So it's why you'll take advice from like Rick Rubin if you're a musician, but you won't take advice from like me on Twitter. (laughs) You should, though. I'm a very smart person. Um, You know, I think that also should their previous thought should come with an asterisk, right? Because there are people who are just assholes in the world who will just like tear you down just to tear you down and there's nothing you can do about it unfortunately but being aware of it will help you in the long run so i'm sorry that that is the way it is but that's the way it is (laughs) uh i feel like consumers like and um, i feel like i'm crapping on consuming because you know i am kind of but i think it's also super important because consumers can make money consuming let me be very clear about that you can make money, you know, you've seen people who are in comment sections of blogs or like the shade room on Instagram who become, you know, a host or leverage it somehow into some kind of media career. But the thing that happens to them more often than not is that you have to end up creating something new, you know, for your fan base. You know, I think that's the, the key difference between, you know, people who you know, like the example would be like the Breakfast Club on New York City, you know, Power 106. Like 
what they do every day is consume. They consume news stories, they consume media, and they create something new, which is their take on it, their opinion on it, you know. But they get paid to create something based upon their consumption. Whereas, like, me on Twitter, I yell the same takes. Like, I may think an album sucks. No one is going to, you know, give me money for that unless I create something new from that consumption. I really want to communicate that this is so important and four words will literally change your life and those four words create more consume less i'll repeat create more consume less like and i say that because you can legitimately change your life doing that you know the world has changed like more people than ever have the ability to create stuff for cheap i mean cheaper than it's ever been in history that's for sure if not straight up free you know and I think that's a superpower that a lot of people aren't using. You have it in your back pocket, literally on your phone. If you have a halfway decent laptop, you can create with that. I mean, there's there's more opportunities to create and for less cost of entry than there ever has been. So you create more, consume less. I promise you, your life will get better. And I want to offer some solutions because, you know, some folks might not know how. You might just get home from work, you binge a show, and then you go to bed and you repeat and you want more from your life, but you don't really know how to do it. Or maybe you're scared. I get that. I mean, I'll start with a personal anecdote. Like I created a lot when I was younger, you know, just making stuff, writing things. And then I stopped and job change. You don't really have enough time to sit down and do the stuff or you don't make the time really. And you end up consuming and consuming and consuming and you get so frustrated. And I need to be clear here, like, it wasn't because I was frustrated because I was, like, not achieving my dreams. But it was just, like, I think human beings have an instinctual need to want to create things. We want to be in control. We want to have a say. We want to have a sense of purpose. Right? So here's tip number one. Have a perspective. There are a few more annoying things than a self-assured idiot. You know the type. They just parrot whatever talking point they saw or read, but can't elaborate on it farther than the soundbite they picked up. You know, look, critical thinking isn't going anywhere as long as I'm alive. So I always want to make sure you have a perspective when you're consuming something. You know, ask yourself why every time you read something. Ask yourself why they made the decision to make the decision that they made. (laughs) That sounded a lot more complicated than it actually was in my brain. But, you know, I think it's, it's funny because that perspective will allow you to engage in critical thinking, and that's important. Tip number two, consume media like you have to teach. Basically, you read an article. Let's say you're on the bus. You flip through an article when you're on Twitter or somebody shares it on your Facebook, whatever. Basically, when you finish that article, try to be able to teach it to people in your life and different people too because i think critical understanding gets better when you have to vary your approach so let's say you read an article about the polar ice caps and you're like oh man it's really fascinating maybe you're super into the polar ice caps i don't know you um but you read this article you feel good about it you've learned a lot of ice cap facts or something i don't know again i don't know you um but when you finish with that article Call your parents. Explain the article to your parents. First of all, your parents are going to be really happy that you called unless you're like calling them at like super late. Like that's not fair. The main point here is you're going to be able to retain the information that you've consumed a lot better if you have to explain it to somebody. And they've done studies around this. 
the next step and this one does not apply to you if you are not on social media like if this if you canceled all your social you're out here living off the grid you know god bless you i wish i was more like you um please teach me your ways uh, but for everybody else number three is for you number three break your algorithm yes so Every single person using multiple social media accounts is trapped right now. You're trapped in an algorithm that has been fueled by, well, you, but it's mostly been fueled by providing you with more of the things that you appear to love on the internet. And that's all based on what you've engaged with online, right? So that doesn't change. And if anything, they're just going to double down on giving you more of what you like. But it's kind of why you always feel like everyone's talking about the same thing why it only feels like there's only one topic on social media every day i am really concerned because i think we're all losing the ability to hold down multiple ideas in our head at once also like those critical thinking skills i was talking about earlier you know do you ask yourself why you like the videos you like okay it's funny that's great and if that's enough then that's enough but a lot of times i feel as though if people glance things you know you people respond to the the headline on Twitter, don't even read the piece, you know, so the critical thinking piece of it is lost, but a lot of that is a product of the stuff you're being served every day. So the way to break your algorithm is to seek out different stuff, but you got to do it kind of like a, a fun little experiment, right? Like I purposely gamed my Spotify algorithm, right? So I've had Spotify for a while. I love it. It's fun. Um, but I got annoyed because all the music that I was getting sent via my like they Spotify has this thing where it's like your playlist and they make a they basically use the algorithm to create playlists for you and you can get, you know, my top list and it'll be like one through six or four or whatever. But it's different lists based upon the music you listen to. I was super frustrated because I kept getting the same songs. And I was like, what's the point of innovation and music creation if it's always going to serve me you know cushion and pushing by the dog pound which is a great song by the way so i got fed up and basically i gamed the algorithm by creating a playlist and that one playlist as it and let me look right now hold on yep so as of right now that playlist has 9700 songs in it and it's every possible genre you can think of um, every type of BPM and beats per minute, every tempo you can think of, you know, oldies, new songs that they came out last week, stuff that came out 60 years ago, all of it is in there. And like, I, I jokingly refer to it as my musical will, cause it's the best way to understand me as a person by listening to all 9,700 songs. Um, but, but that's cool because now, and this was probably three or four years ago, but since then. I've gotten completely new music from all of my playlists, legitimately. Like, it's crazy that it worked that well, but, you know, you had to take the approach to actually break the algorithm in the first place, you know. But also, from a creator and consumption standpoint, I was consuming all this music, and I was frustrated with what I was consuming. I think that's something that a lot of people deal with, especially, you know, if you listen to a lot of something or you're super nerdy about something. You get the same thing every time you get fed up. So, you know, now... All of that consumption of music led to me creating something new that gives me better stuff to consume. See what I'm saying? Create more, consume less. Number four, realize the game is rigged against you. I need to be clear because I'm telling you to break the algorithm, but you have to understand that there are a lot of people in marketing and advertising, myself included, 
um, in this in our line of business who really, you know, we don't want you to know this stuff because it's how we make our money. Um, but I think you should know that in advance because if you know that the game is rigged from the beginning, you can beat the game or quit playing. <laughs> the last step is the most important step. And so I really want you to focus. If you, if you haven't listened to anything in the past 15 minutes, this is the most important thing. You got to take action. Take action. I know I'm sounding like a broken record here, but it's so important. You have to create something with the information that you consumed. Now, you know, I'm sure someone's going to say, hey, well, what's the difference? You know, if I'm creating something based off of something I've consumed, what's wrong with that? My answer is that nothing is wrong with that. You just got to create something. Um, I think a big thing that people think they're creating, but they're actually consuming. Um, there's a lot of daily tasks that go into that. So, you know, like responding to email, if you're on Slack, using, you know, dropping a meme in Slack, G chatting somebody, if you still do that, tweeting, oh my God, all of that is consumption. You think you're creating something. And in case of like Twitter or something like that, you're creating a joke, you're creating a tweet. But with few examples, and this is coming from a person who went viral like two weeks ago. You don't really get much to show from it. And other than the dopamine hits of like creating a tweet, you can drop a tweet off, come back three days later and it hits and you're just like, oh, but if you can create something that you control, you know, you don't have control over your tweet going viral, unfortunately, unless you like game it. Um, but creating something you have control over that does go viral will give you a better sense of accomplishment. I'm, I promise you that. So remember. When you're stressed out because you've seen, you know, a lukewarm take of something or you're scrolling and you're really fed up with what you're seeing, you can always opt out. And remember those four words that will set you free. Create more, consume less. Friends with that effervescent sound, it is now time for another installment of client 101 joining me as always our esteemed director of strategy mr alex Menacal. I, I can't look you in the eye when you call me <laughs> the esteemed uh, director of strategy it's, it's it's so such a huge honor right uh, this is your clio this is your <laughs> this is your can lion right what's now what's a clio i think it's an award that people in advertising win i don't know ah yes uh, <laughs> Uh, yes. I started. <laughs> I must have one of those around here on my uh, shelf. Let me look. Let me look. Let, is this a Clio? Yeah, because the best part is, like, if I, I gave you a Clio right now, what would you what would you think it looked like? Uh, let's see. A Clio. I would be obviously Cleopatra. <laughs> a bust of yeah, Cleopatra. A bust of Cleopatra. Um, <laughs> and it would have a marble base, like black like, marble. Yeah, I just made a noise. That's my, fine. My name carved in it <laughs> in some way, and uh, I'd give a speech. Oh my god! That'd be awesome. Well, just like okay, so when this podcast inevitably wins an award, what is like? Are you gonna give a speech? Are you gonna just come in and say, you know, thank you? I mean, I would uh, obviously put the award on a chain and wear it around my neck wherever I go for at least a day. I'd say, you know, go out to breakfast. Yeah, people just be like. What's that? Um, that's my award. I'll have the eggs Benedict. <laughs> you think it gives you like brunch perks? Yeah. You're like, hey, uh, so didn't know. Like, I think if I won like an award, that's all I would do. Yeah. 
all I would do is just just go flex, you know, wear it around your neck, like, oh hey, what's up? Um, oh, there's a there's a weight. Um, is there a weight for? Award winner. <laughs> you can just sort of, sort gling, of gling, gling, gling. touch the award, like oh, yeah. there's, there's a line, huh? Hmm. Uh, oh. That's... <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Okay, so Alex, now that we've gotten your platitudes out of the way, mm-hmm. what are we talking about this week? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I, I didn't have to go back and look up this topic at all. I know exactly what we're talking about. Didn't print anything out except for the two pages of writing that I've got here. <laughs> Your usual prep notes. We're going to be talking about, last time uh, we talked a little bit about how we operate as far at Mass as far as pricing mm-hmm. and creating bids for websites. This time we're going to answer the question of uh, what does a website cost? And that's a question that we get a lot. You know, uh, if you tell anyone you work in the web business, you know, anyone who's had to deal with uh, being on the client side in a marketing manager role, they're always like, what does a website cost? So we thought we'd take a shot at answering that question today. So how much do websites cost? Well, here's the thing. There's like a, uh, a range there, right? Like whenever anybody asks me how much a website costs, I'm like, well, somewhere between five bucks and like $500 million, $500 million. I've never worked on a website that big, but that's like... Yeah, that's uh, like the NASA website. <laughs> like, that's, that's like healthcare.gov. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, okay. that's a, that's the, fi- the $5 website option we'll get to in a minute, but um, that's not very helpful if you're a marketing uh, director and you're trying to build a website uh, for a product. Um, so how do we get that number down to something less than 10 million percent of a range? You know, that's that's the question. So... Um, the first thing we do is uh, to define a site's requirements, okay? How do requirements work? Um, so the metaphor here is if you're looking for a place to live, for example, you have requirements. You might not have articulated them, but you might just want to, pl- like, for example, you might just want a piece of land where you could put a teepee up. Right. You might want a th- uh, three-bedroom house with a four-car garage and and the TP also you want that and an observatory and a driveway right that's a different set of requirements. Who's this like Doctor Doom's house? Like what? Yeah, and it's Victor Von Doom on 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 Doom Lane on, on Zillow. Yeah, on Zillow page. I I mean guys, supervillains have to live somewhere. All right, <laughs> they're just they're not just like this. Took a hard point from like website commentary to like you're advocating on behalf of supervillains. Listen, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying they're people too. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I'm not an apologist. Um, so so uh, the, you get that right. There's yeah. a different like you. You've got requirements in totally. anything you want to buy, right? So um, those are your like place to live requirements, and that and you can easily see that one end of the spectrum is going to be a lot cheaper than the other, right? Right. Um, so with a website, a similar process is at work where. Uh, they, they're exactly like they, what they sound like. They're elements that you need uh, to be successful. So a requirement could be, I need an about us page. I need right. a product detail page. I need a some kind of elaborate calculator that helps you determine pricing. Uh, it could be client support contact. Right. I, there's a, literally a billion different kinds of requirements. Um, it could be a video. It could be uh, anything. So our job is to interrogate the the problem there like figure out exactly what those requirements are right um and and the way we get ultimately an estimate is to say like okay what are the tasks that need to be done to fulfill each requirement if it's a 
like if it's an about us page, do we need to get photography? Do we need to write copy? Do we need, we'll need to code that. Right. We'll need to QA that, et cetera. Um, we take- yeah, Just real, real quick, for the folks who aren't necessarily, they may have a smaller organization. Mm -hmm. Can we kind of break down what is the client's responsibility to come to the table with and what ours is? Because I think that might be something that people, because they hear content and they assume, well, yep. why wouldn't you do that? Sure. Right. Sure, sure. So um, as far as in the project, right? yeah. So so if, for example, we have a page that's about the organization, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the client says, well, we have a copywriter. We have somebody, some something already written for right. this, or we already have photography. Then we we take that into account when estimating something. So okay. we'll say, okay, we don't need to book time for photography. We don't need to book a copywriter's time to write that page. All we need to do is is take the existing copy and uh, code it right and QA it, right? Yeah. So that, that means that'll be a l that requirement will require less, less a lower number of tasks right. to complete, right? right? Yeah, so that's how we kind of account for that. For sure. Um, so we add up, we essentially take all the requirements, add up the amount of time it will require to accomplish each of the tasks behind those. And that's really your estimate. So as, and for us, estimates can, you know, there's a wide, wide margin of, uh, like smallest to biggest, but, uh, you know, generally like, I don't know, I'd say 50,000 to 150,000 say, um, so so with that, I think one of the things that was a blind spot for me when it came to, you know, entering the business and learning more about, you know, how much websites actually cost, I think what has probably made your job a lot harder, but with the proliferation of, you know, these quick, easy, I can put a Wix site together really quickly mm -hmm. or a Squarespace site or something like that along those lines, like, I think I... You know, somebody comes to me and they say, well, I need a website. And I tell them 50K, they're going to go, well, right. why? Like, right. I can just get one for free. And, and that's, that's again, where the requirements range comes mm -hmm. in. So say in, like, in that house buying metaphor, right. right? Say you just want a piece of land and a teepee, right? That, right, right the, the equivalent right. in digital, <laughs> in websites would be you just want the domain name, right? right. And you maybe just want to put a logo up. So you'd, you'd be able to go buy a domain name yourself. Mm -hmm. Um and put something up really simple using one of the tools that's out there. So there are tools like uh, Wix. There's tools like Squarespace uh, that help you build websites. We're a fan of those. You, you know, yeah. you, like Mess is about building bespoke, doing bespoke website development uh, for for clients who need to differentiate themselves with with spectacular web development. That, right? And <clears throat> yes, I think that's a really key point. You know, differentiating yourself. I think people don't recognize that how the pres the, the, the materials presented is more important sometimes than what you say. Right. And, and being different from the competition, right? So yeah. you, you might not want to be another uh, widget seller mm -hmm. with a Squarespace. Site. Right. You might want to do something different. Right. Right. So, um, and then like on the higher end, right, like a larger organization with a bigger client base and also more at stake right. uh, will have more feature re requirements and also uh, more just pure development, right? So this is like a bank, like a bank in this this sense. They have a kind of crazy client base of people. They need to have the site be able to do the transactions and, mm -hmm. you know, depositing checks theoretically, like all of that stuff. And that that's all – adding to that list of requirements right? exactly okay. exactly exactly um so you know like like we're we're big fans of like 
like we will tell like sometimes people come to us and mm-hmm. say like hey we needed a website we have x amount of dollars and we have these requirements we'll, we'll just say like you can either do that yourself or with a freelancer right um there's also clients who we who come to us and just say like who have who have uh let me start that over again <laughs> like 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 it it's sort of um we we have a place here at mess in the broad range of your available tools right right, right. so like on the on the lower dollar amount and you have your wix and your Square, squarespace and your wordpress and on the the higher end you have us and other agencies mm-hmm. right that's amazing and i think the difference i think is in the like the question that the client in this sense has to ask themselves right if you know you only need something to be like a shop or something really quickly, you probably don't necessarily want to bring in an agency like Mess, even though we might right. be able to provide something for you, just the spend isn't going to be worth your time. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. for a lot of organizations, and I think this is the other piece of it, a lot of organizations that need somebody like a Mess don't necessarily understand how they're being perceived because to them maybe it's like, oh, well, we're just doing good work and don't understand that how much potential revenue they're losing out on by not having a strong web presence. Would you like is that something you see in your work career as well? Oh yeah, I I, I mean uh there is a lot of legacy work out there, right? Like there's a lot of websites out there that were built 4, 5, 10 years ago, right? right. And there's uh, a lot of inertia. You don't necessarily want to rebuild something if it's quote unquote working right um part of what we're able to do is really look at how a website is functioning uh whether it's meeting your needs uh whether it has uh flaws that are keeping people in your potential audience from finding it uh Mm. that's a big thing findability uh whether it meets current web standards whether it's for example if it's uh responsive you know so that's a big one yeah exactly and and for folks who don't know what responsive means they're like does your website work on a phone as well as it does on a computer? Yeah. And I think you'd be surprised at the percentage that would be able to say no to that question because they right. don't know. Right. So and I think this is like the purpose of this. Right, exactly. It's like bring your website up into uh, contemporary best yeah. practices, right? But also, I mean, it's – and this is just a larger question I think about sites, right, and like the strategy behind a presence on the Internet. For me, it always feels like if somebody isn't paying attention to the web presence, I like, and for whatever reason, and I don't think this is like fair to be honest with you. I don't. I kind of judge their ability unless it's like a food spot. Mm-hmm. That's like, the only time I'll be like, okay, I don't expect them to have a good website because the food is they're focusing on the food. Mm-hmm. But if it's any sort of service, any sort of you know customer facing or you know B two C kind of company, even B two B, I think B two Bs might be even worse because you are making it harder for me to give you money yeah, sure sure you're uh, i mean you're right I, I think there is something to like if you're talking about a food truck if their website sucks that food truck's probably awesome right because right? they're focusing on making food yeah i'm with right. that yeah. yeah exactly but if it's something like a hospital or a law firm mm-hmm. or uh mm-hmm. an, an agency yeah uh, some any 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 business who for whom communication is really important right right that tells you that there hasn't been a lot of care put to that. If, right. if their site is hard to find, for example, if the information you're looking for is hard right. to find, if you're trying to either communicate with them or achieve something on their website and you can't, mm-hmm. can't find that, that, that tells you that maybe they just haven't thought through this process or their business has evolved beyond their website. Right. 
Okay, so really quick, because I think this is something where I want to give value for folks who may be in an organization, who may be on board with what you're saying in terms of like how much the cost is, but they may work in an organization where marketing is like not thought of as a priority mm-hmm. or, you know, they aren't maybe necessarily armed with the tools to be able to argue their case. I mean, for folks who are, let's say that mid-level, you know, they, they want to get their job or their organization to update their web presence. Like what was the strong, what's the strongest thing you would suggest to, to help them advocate for getting a better website and paying the money that it costs. Sure, uh, and and here's the thing: it's not just about marketing necessarily. Okay. It's the uh, for for uh, let's put it this way: every client is going to be different, right? Yeah, Your needs sure. are going to be different. There are some organizations out there that are totally marketing driven. There's some where the marketing person is like the oddball there, the right. only person thinking about marketing. But right. uh, really, the website portrays the business to the world so anybody involved in the business should have a stake in the website in general we work with either the leaders of a business or marketing or a combination of marketing it and business leadership but as far as like the case they want to make um that it's like it's lost opportunity right like you you can't you can't uh necessarily put a dollar value to business you're not getting uh, and communication that you're not putting forth or uh, or other ways that audiences might be missing you, right? right. Uh, so the, the, the value that you'll be getting from a new website may not be a super apparent based on the data you're seeing right now. Okay, so it's, yeah, you just got to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you it's just got to do it. Yeah, it's like saying, hey, I've, I, I, I'm going to go drive my car. It only goes 45 miles an hour, so it'll take me two hours to get to the Lombard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I got a Mercedes here. They'll get you there in 45 minutes. Right. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah, you should just drive the Mercedes. Yeah, exactly. So a great website is the, Merce- the Mercedes of your business. The Mercedes of your business, exactly. Unless you work at Mercedes, and then it's just the your business of your business. Exactly. Which exactly. I mean that makes sense. That's yeah. You know, I'll stand up on that. That's yeah. a good metaphor yeah. for success. That works. <laughs> that works. I'm for okay. It. <laughs> okay. This has been Client One Hundred and One, a fantastic segment. We like to bring you that we kind of peel back the layers of strategy to help folks like yourselves who are out there in the world trying to make it happen. We're trying to help you make that thing happen. Yeah, make it happen. Make it happen. And as always, I'm going to give you more superlatives. Are you ready? The yes. Titan of Tactics. The Sultan of Strategy. Alex Minikow, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ernest. It's been great. (laughs) Peace. I'd like to end Office Hours this week with a bit of a rant, Uh, specifically around critics. I don't think people get what critics' actual job is, and that includes the critics themselves. I think some people think it's their responsibility to provide context for music for listeners. Some people think it's their job to police the tastes of the, t- the larger populace. Uh, some think, you know, critics exist solely to reinforce the already held beliefs of the readership of the publication they work for. Some people are just delusional and think that what they have to say is more important than the person next to them. I mean, I see all of that and I understand it. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because this week we've had a lot of you know famous pop stars takes shots at critics um you know lizzo justin bieber ariana grande all have kind of come out bravely might i add against critics um and people hating and 
critiquing people's performances and i really think everybody misses the point on why critics are here in the first place so i just want to share kind of my perspective as to you know what everyone is getting wrong so in my opinion a good critic does a few things right so i think they the big one is they provide context for creative work now that's like some anthropological stuff right like you know are you sure that lyric the rapper is saying is a reference to the neighborhood they're from? Like, can you prove that? Or are you just sharing something you saw in like genius or like a forum or something, you know, like I think that the context piece and the research that goes into providing that context is what separates critics from people who just talk on the internet all day. Um, you know, the next step of that is, you know, are you able to clearly communicate what that artist is trying to say in quotes? And that's that context again, like it's so important, you know, if you can really distill down an essence of what an artist is trying to communicate through music and use it in terms that are clear. And that's another piece. Like you gotta be able to clearly communicate it. You know, I think that's what a critic is versus, you know, anybody else. So, and, and, and let me be clear there, like most jobs in the world, there are a lot of people doing criticism poorly, but that doesn't mean criticism in and of itself isn't a job that's worthy of respect or worthy of doing in the first place. Look, there have been just as many bad songs as there have been people sharing bad opinions about songs. We're all in the same gang at the end of the day, you know? Uh, critics provide that why. Critics provide the why. They provide the why for, you know, why you should make a purchase, why you should choose to watch a movie over another movie, why you should drop everything you're doing to listen to the new Beyonce. I mean, the why is so important and it goes back to critical thinking. You have to be able to explain why something is good. I think a lot of frustrations with bad criticism come from people not being able to express, you know, clearly enough why something is or isn't good or worth your time. So I think that's a huge one. Um, I also really don't think people understand that like critics and people who are hating on you on the internet aren't the same thing. And I think you get kind of that assumption from people who are, for lack of a better term, they haven't been told no in a long time, or they haven't been told that their ideas aren't great all the time. So a lot of celebrities, people in positions of privilege, people who haven't ever really had to open themselves up to the larger population or you know, have any sort of conversation with the larger population. Like you, if you haven't been told no since like 2002, you're not going to be receptive to criticism. I don't care if it's positive and lean. If it sounds mean, you're going to be upset with it. Um, I think that's a loss for everybody. And I invoke all artists of any sort of medium that want to get better at their stuff. It's again, like I said earlier, you know, a lot of the people who have criticized your work online are just dicks, but there are a lot of people who are doing this for a living who actually exist to provide that context to your creative work. They exist to provide that why for what you're doing in ways that you honestly don't want to do. Like you don't want to, you know, and I say this generally because there's a lot of artists who really enjoy fan interaction, but a lot of y'all artists ain't really trying to talk to nobody on the street, bro. Let's be very serious, you know, and you don't want feedback because if somebody tells you you don't like it, you're going to be mad. 
So what that happens is you get a critic or somebody, you know, to, to write about the contextual understanding around your music. So people get a bit of an understanding. So if you shout out a certain thing on a song, somebody can explain why you're shouting that out. And I think, you know, if you have that and you can learn from it, then you're probably going to end up making better music or art or dinner. I don't know. But whatever your creative outlet is, criticism honestly is existing to make it better. I also think that for, you know, it's not a lot of critics responsibility, but it ends up having to be something that they do where critics and writers in general are usually the ones who are responsible for history. You know, they say history is written by the winners, but it's actually written by the writers. Like people who write and, you know, their, their work is covering a small album that nobody would listen to that they think deserves a larger platform or advocating on behalf of an artist before he or she gets that big check and forgets how nice. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just thought about it an anecdote from my personal life. Um, so I don't know if you know this about me, but I used to be a music writer. I still do it from time to time, but basically I covered an artist and I'm not going to say that artist's name because that artist is very popular now, but that artist was super, super, super nice to everybody. And then the second that artist got like a sniff of publicity, um, I'm not going to say their pitchfork score because you would figure out who it was pretty quickly, but that person switched up and acted like an absolute dickhead and everyone who once championed that artist now hates that artist not hates but isn't trying to bend over backwards to help that artist and that brings me to my last point you're at work like if you're a creator and you're trying to make a living off of this this is your work so like most work i don't get a reprieve from you know my boss if i screw something up or do something not great just because I tried really hard at it or I worked really hard to, to get it done. If it sucks, it sucks. And Spike Lee said this, he goes, you gotta, you gotta stop being emotional with the work because the work, they don't care, you know? And, and I'm reading his, um, diary of him making Malcolm X right now. And I'll, we'll talk about that in a later episode, but he basically breaks down that like his dad got, you know, arrested for heroin or something. Um, someone died in his family like it was a lot of really bad things that happened all in the same you know period of time but nobody cared because in the public opinion you're at work bro is your movie hot or not nah? and I don't know if that's fair but that is the way the world is and so from both sides I think artists and critics to be you have to remember that we are all in the same gang artists need critics critics need artists everybody needs context and we all need money. <laughs> and let me be clear, I completely understand if an artist doesn't ever want to do another interview or doesn't, you know, like when people write about their music, but they also have to remember that, you know, we're all in the same gang, man. I keep saying it, but it's true. We're all in the same gang because, look, you can get dropped from your label. I can get fired from my job. We both gonna be at the bar looking like, damn. This has been Office Hours. So a heads up next week, I, well, I should be clear. I'm getting married in two days, which is pretty exciting. So I'm not going to be on next week. I'm going to record a little blurb telling you that, but just a heads up if you're one of the, 
<laughs> dozens of people who listen to this podcast. Uh, I appreciate all of you. I love you all. I will talk to you when I'm back from my little honeymoon. Dip, 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 dip,